0: Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to The Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to Episode 66 of The Flying Free Podcast. Today we're answering the question, what does the Bible mean when it tells Christian wives to submit to their husbands? Was this kind of submission only for that culture? I don't want to get into all the Greek and Hebrew and blah, blah, blah. There's a ton of books and blog articles out there that do all of that. I just want to make this really simple and common sense straight from the Bible. We're going to look at what God teaches us in the whole of Scripture, rather than pulling out a single verse and making an entire theology around that verse. So first, let's look at what the Bible says about submission. In Ephesians 5, 15-33, it talks about the difference between a foolish person and a believer who wants to walk with God and make the best use of his or her time on this earth. Then it says that people like this are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, who is supposed to submit? Believers. And why? Because when we do this with one another, It shows we reverence our Savior who died for us, and we want to follow in his footsteps, right? This humble submission to one another is one of the ways we love each other well and show the world who Jesus is. Ephesians calls this submission wise and the will of the Lord. The opposite of this is called foolish and not understanding what the will of the Lord is. In Ephesians 6, 1 through 9, Paul tells children to obey or submit to their parents in the Lord. In other words, children were always to obey, but now, as believers, they are to do their obeying in the Lord. That was the new thing Paul was introducing to them— and some Christians today use this verse to justify abusing children. But that wasn't at all what Paul was communicating there. Do you see how the enemy takes the truth and twists it to mean the exact opposite of what it really means? Then Paul tells slaves to submit to their masters as unto the Lord. In other words, slaves were always to obey But now, as believers, they are to do their obeying as unto the Lord. And by the way, during the Civil War, Christians used this verse to justify owning slaves. But you see that giving men the right to own slaves was not Paul's point. Paul was speaking to a culture that already had slaves, and he was helping to create a shift in their hearts and their thinking, in preparation for the day when slavery itself would be seen as in complete opposition to a Christian worldview that promotes freedom for everybody, regardless of race, gender, or socioeconomic status. And then in Ephesians 5.22, the one that you're probably all thinking of, it says that wives should submit to their own husbands as unto the Lord. In other words, wives were just expected to submit in that culture. But now, as believers, they are to do their submitting as unto the Lord. And today, Christians use this verse to justify controlling and abusing women. But that wasn't Paul's point. Paul was speaking to a culture that had a low view of women, and he was setting the stage to eradicate The subjugation of women by introducing mutual submission for all believers, regardless of race or gender, as well as introducing this idea of women submitting as unto the Lord, not because her culture expected it of her. I think it's really sad that this shift in the hearts of Christians has yet to take root and bear fruit. There are other verses that talk about submission to God and submission to human institutions that are there to protect people. But do you hear about all these other kinds of submission preached from the pulpit very often? I grew up in the church, and I really didn't. However, I did hear verse 22 preached quite often, the submission of women. And interestingly enough, the preachers were all men. You see from this that certain kinds of submission are cultural. That is the kind of submission that the conservative Christian religion promotes. Cultural submission. And by the way, I'm not referring to an authentic following of Jesus Christ when I call it the Christian religion. I'm talking about a religion that is just as pagan as any pagan religion, with rules and regulations and sacrifices that are required to be accepted by the God of that religion's choice. The New Testament leaders, including Jesus, did not overturn the power over cultural norms overnight. They introduced brand new Christian concepts that would act like leaven, slowly spreading a truly Christ-like way of life, which is decidedly not power-grabbing and controlling. And this would spread over time. When modern-day Pharisees demand submission of half the human race rather than lifting up Christ's way of living in submission to one another, they continue the humanistic culture of power over. It's easy to do. Rules that control part of the human race make things simple. Walking by faith in the living, breathing spirit of Jesus and respecting the boundaries and autonomous of other human lives is more complex and requires maturity, discernment, and a vibrant walk with Jesus. It's not so black and white. Now, the judgment in the Garden of Eden, and that's what it was, it, it was a judgment, was that men would power over women. This is not a blessing. Praise God, Jesus Christ overturned the judgments in the Garden, and wherever you see the Holy Spirit at work, you will see the judgments being overturned. Where you see the spirit of the Antichrist at work, you will see the promotion and carrying out of those judgments on the people of the earth. Always remember that Satan is the one who brings people into bondage. Jesus sets them free. Satan is the author of lies. Jesus brings truth. Satan brings fear. Jesus brings love. So let's talk about what submission actually is. Submission is a voluntary attitude of respect and cooperation. And what it brings to the table is peace and harmony and love. And that's why it's important for Christians to do it. If we want to spread the love of Jesus on this earth, we do it through loving submission. Matthew 22, 36-40 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Did you catch that? The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Isn't that beautiful? Submission, whether you are a wife or a husband or a child or a friend or an employee or an employer, is an attitude of love, respect, and cooperation. God will never tell us to do something hateful or destructive or unloving. Now, human beings might manipulate us to believe that we should do those things so that they can get what they want, but you are always safe to love, respect, and cooperate with Jesus Christ under any and every circumstance. Humans are a whole other story, though, but thankfully, the Bible gives us lots of examples of people who did not submit to their parents to their husbands, to their masters, to the government and to other fellow human beings because to do so would have meant not submitting to Jesus Christ or to God. And God, along with real love, trumps everyone else. Now, I write about these examples in my book, Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage. So you can go there and go to chapter, um, I believe it's chapter 2, to um, read about those. But I think the reason that submission is so unpalatable to people, especially women, well, I think it's pretty obvious why it's unpalatable to women because it's being shoved down our throats, but it's because of all the Christian lies that swirl around this topic. This, here are some examples of how people take this idea of submission, twist it into a lie, and then fling it around like a weapon that can and does encourage and perpetuate abuse of women and children. Now, in these examples, the person in authority is not asking the underling to disobey God or to sin, but they are using the concept of submission to manipulate women while catering to their own selfish desires. So let's say that a man likes his women with hairy armpits and long fingernails that are painted pink. And so he tells his wife that she needs to refrain from shaving her armpits and make sure that her nails are long and pink. And if she fails to do this, he gets very upset with her. He criticizes her. He tells her lots of bad things, okay? The submit lie tells her that she is a rebel practicing witchcraft. Remember that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. I was reminded of that many times if she doesn't do all the things that her persnickety husband wants her to do. So, as she paints her nails pink, she feels guilty, unloved, and unseen. Now, is this man obeying the word of God? Let's take another example. Let's take a very important and concerned pastor's wife. Now, there's a young. this is a real true example, okay? There's a young woman. A friend of mine, she blogged about why she does or doesn't let her kids watch Disney movies. All right, we're not going to get into (laughs) which way she goes on this one. The story is going to be the same, okay? So this pastor's wife sits down with her and tells her that she should not be blogging. She's too young to have any kind of influence on anyone, you know, and she might say something or blog something that dishonors their church. I I mean, that dishonors God, (laughs) She might write about something that the pastor's wife disagrees with, basically. So she says, you know, just quit blogging. You're an insignificant blot on the face of the planet with nothing to say to anyone, especially to me, a very important pastor wife person. Now, the submit lie tells this young woman that since the pastor wife person is older, well, if you're older, that automatically makes you wiser, right? And because she's also married to a pastor person... That makes her an automatic authority, especially if the pastor person gave her orders to gag the blogger woman. Therefore, it's a no-brainer. Time for her to close down her blog and take up rock painting. She feels a sense of loss. She loses her joy, and she loses her purpose. So let's look at a third example. A teenage girl goes to her private school's principal to report that she thinks one of the teachers might be sexually involved with one of the girls in her class. He firmly warns her about gossip and slander and dirty thinking. He tells her that she has no proof. It's only something that she's heard. Is she trying to bring down an entire ministry to families in the community? Is she trying to sully the good name of a godly teacher? He tells her that she is to quit thinking and most certainly quit talking about such depraved things and focus on whatsoever is pure and true and holy as all nice girls who want to please God do. Now, the submit lie would tell her that she needs to submit, go to class and shut up and she feels guilty and dirty for some odd reason. Is this principal demonstrating love and compassion for the young women attending his school? Here's what submission is not. Submission is not hiding the sins of others in authority. Submission is not catering to the selfish whims of selfish spouses. Submission is not doing everything any very important person tells you to do. If that were the case, then yes, I would have to say that submission is a weak, spineless, disgusting, degrading, demeaning thing. But you know what? That's not submission. That's actually cowardice and confusion, which are the results of abuse and shaming. Do you see that the only one that's being unsubmissive, truly unsubmissive in the above examples, is the one that's quote in authority? They are refusing to submit to God. But many women put in those situations would automatically feel like they were the sinful one. So let's look at those examples again and just see how the women could relate to those people that they think are in authority over them while still having a submissive attitude of cooperation and respect in those same situations, okay? So let's go back to the wife with the hairy armpit, pink fingernail loving man. She could say something like this, honey, I know that you like hairy armpits and you like pink fingernails that are long and I get it. You know, I get it. I, pr- I can appreciate that, that that's what you enjoy. But here's the thing. <laughs> These are my armpits and my fingernails and I don't like those things. I prefer to shave and to keep my nails short so that I can change diapers and mix meatloaf without getting poop and raw beef stuck in them. Now, I trust that you married me for the essence of me, and not merely for my hairy armpits and long fingernails. I really appreciate your understanding why I can't do that right now. It would be fine, I would be fine with painting my nails pink. Whenever you'd like to plan a date night for us, though, how about that? Now, if the husband proceeds to call her names or tell her that she's a rebellious, unsubmissive woman who's wearing the pants in the family, then she needs to start to question whether or not she's in an abusive relationship. He's obviously not doing his part to love her the way Christ loves the church, and he's not mutually submitting to her the way that the Bible teaches. All of us as Christians to do, and if these kinds of behaviors that he's having are his habit, Then she needs to get help. Now, sometimes her church will help. And sometimes, incredibly, they'll side with the abuser and tell her the same things that he's telling her. Grow your hair long in your armpits and have long fingernails. It doesn't matter what you want. What matters is what your man wants. Well, now she's got an abusive husband and an abusive church to deal with. If we love one another, we will be truthful about sin instead of covering it up and pretending that it isn't there. Okay, let's look at the second story, the blogger with the concerned pastor's wife. So here's what the blogger could say. I appreciate your concern about these things, but you know, I've thought about it and I've decided to develop my writing skills in this way. I want to honor God by becoming all that God wants me to be in this area. If you find out that someone in our church is uncomfortable with something I've written, please have them come and talk to me about it directly. And then here's what the student could say, the student in the situation where she has to report that she believes that there might be some sexual abuse going on. She could say to the principal, you know, I realize how this appears on the outside, but I'm only trying to help both the teacher and this girl. I don't take pleasure in bringing this to your attention, and I would not have spoken up if I didn't believe there was something to what I heard and what I've observed in class between the two of them. I trust that you're going to take me seriously. But if you don't investigate this, I will involve other adults who will. I really hope I'm wrong about all of this. But please remember that if I'm right, and if it comes out some other way, when you had prior warning but refused to investigate, that's going to create even more problems for this ministry and this community. You know, sometimes we need to be courageous and submit to God instead of humans. But in order to have courage, we have to be able to see the situation clearly from God's perspective. And we have to know, like really, really know that God really is bigger than other people. Now, what if you're a wife and your husband is not asking you to sin? He just doesn't agree with you on things. How do you come to a final decision on something when you've reached an impasse? Let's come at this from a common sense standpoint, okay? Let's set aside the whole husband wife thing for just a minute and pretend that we're talking about two humanoids. This can be two girls or two boys, or it can be a boy and a girl. It can be a variety, they can be a variety of human colors. They can be roommates, siblings, coworkers, board members, just whatever, all right? Let's just say that these two humanoids don't agree, but a decision must be made. Now, there's only two of them, so a majority vote cannot be taken. They are equals, so there is no bigger or better human that gets to make the decision. Oh dear, there's no simple, clear-cut, quick answer to this. This is a conundrum. We are wringing our hands and panicking. What do we do? Okay, we can solve this with mutual respect, mutual Interest, mutual goals, mutual honor, mutual concern, mutuality. Is there going to be a compromise? Yeah, probably. Maybe after talking it out and thinking about it and coming together to talk again, maybe then you can have a meeting of minds. But sometimes one party is going to have to defer to the other but which party will that be? It's not going to be the same every time. Why? Because of mutuality and because of Christ-like love and because of submission to one another. Here's a great definition of mutuality. This is from Patricia Evans' book, The Verbally Abusive Relationship. Mutuality is a way of being with another person which promotes the growth and well-being of one's self and the other person by means of clear communication and empathetic understanding. Now, in my opinion, that should describe every single Christian marriage. If Christians can't get that right, who can, right? We've got the perfect model for this in the triune relational God who is unified in all decisions. God the Father doesn't override God the Son or God the Spirit or vice versa. They are one. In a similar way, a husband and a wife are one flesh. They are heirs together of the grace of life. The ideal situation is to discuss major decisions using clear communication and empathetic understanding and to make those decisions together. When one person takes on the burden of making all the decisions unilaterally, they miss out on opportunities to truly know and love another human life. They miss out on opportunities to give and take. They miss out on opportunities to capitalize on one another's strengths and knowledge and experience and to experience real intimacy and oneness it's really, really important that you understand that verses about marriage in the Bible don't trump the rest of the Word of God. All the verses about relationships apply to marriage as well. The verses on marriage just add to the picture. They don't make a separate picture. So when you read something like this in James 2, 8-9, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, that doesn't just apply to all human relationships outside of marriage. It applies in marriage too. Partiality is a sin, period. So let's not show partiality to people who have something between their legs over people who don't. Or what about this one? Who is wise and understanding among you? gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace, James 3, 13-18. Now, I don't read any qualifiers here. It doesn't say, open to reason, Unless you are a husband dealing with your wife, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. You guys, I could make this a really long podcast if I just read all the passages in the New Testament alone that spoke about human relationships. They far outnumber the ones that simply focus on marriage. A Christian couple will strive for mutual respect for the interests of one another. Neither one trying to change the other one into their own image, but appreciating the beautiful God-given differences, respecting those boundaries of that other human being, honoring that other person, being one while also enjoying the uniqueness of one another. Let's not neutralize half of the human race with Christian cliches. Instead, let's all rise to maturity in love so that we can be the heart of Jesus Christ in a world that desperately needs to see something different than just another power over religion. This episode of the Flying Free Podcast is sponsored by the private Flying Free Sisterhood community which offers courses, expert workshops, live coaching, and more for women of faith seeking hope and healing from emotionally and spiritually abusive relationships and communities. You can find out more at joinflyingfree.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Until next time, fly free.